Morning everybody, Andy Kind here. I hope you're doing well. I'm very informally dressed this morning, as is Alan. Alan only ever really wears a scarf anyway, which is something that is hidden in plain sight. No one has really mentioned the fact that he's essentially nude apart from the scarf. Uh, although when he has a shower, he just put a towel around himself, so I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's playing at. Anyway, this morning we're carrying on through Nehemiah, but I want to give it a slightly different feel this morning because I'm aware that when you tune in every Sunday morning to hear teaching, it might be a little bit overwhelming and difficult to process. So what I'm going to do this morning is just talk a bit more informally. Uh, there might be longer pauses. There might be even more ums and ahs. But I want you to feel as though you've got a friend, specifically this friend, sitting with you in your living room just having a chat about stuff. We are approaching release from lockdown. Some people talking about us getting back to normal. And then my question would be, is that what we want? Do we want to get back to normal? I'm not sure that I do. There's lots of things that I miss and there's lots of things that I'm not going to get back that I would have had before lockdown that I will regret. But overall, I think we want to use a bit of nuance and look at the fact that this change is beneficial for the kingdom of God and therefore for the people in the kingdom of God. I've led more people to Christ during lockdown than I did in the previous 18 months of being in Chesterfield. And I have to say it was worth it. I have to say it was worth it. As a, as a massive extrovert, I've really missed chatting to people, looking people in the eye, cuddling people, hugging people. But I've led more people to Jesus in the last four months than in the previous 18 combined. And I have to say that it was worth it. I'm hearing some people talking about, oh, we're going to have to start again. We're going to have to start from scratch. It's all been for nothing. And, you know, practically, there are things that, that just won't come back in the way that they, they were. And, you know, there's a time for everything. And you do have to mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. There are things that are right to grieve even in terms of small businesses going out of business, it's, it's right to grieve with those people. But the good news is that there is a storyline that hasn't been affected by this pandemic. There is one person in the universe who hasn't been caught out by this. The gospel, the bad news, is that life is not a story about you. The gospel, the bad news, is that there is only one kingdom that continues to advance. There is only one kingdom that has never fallen, and it's the kingdom of God. Back in the second century, Pliny the Younger was writing from modern-day Turkey back to Rome, and he was telling the officials in Rome, about this weird, um, peculiar group of people called Christians. Christianity was spreading and it was, it was infecting not just noble people, but women and children. 
everybody, people of all classes and across the range of colour and creed were responding to the gospel. And because they were refusing to obey Rome and worship the Roman gods, <laughs> the Roman officials were executing Christians. And these Christians weren't fighting back because they were, they were peaceful. How's the Roman Empire doing these days? I mean, it's a nice city to visit, but how's the Roman Empire doing? It's not doing that well. How's the kingdom of God doing? Well, pretty well, I think, actually. The ratio of Christians to non-Christians globally in the world today is the highest that it has ever been. It's not just that there's the most number of Christians, but the ratio of Christians to non-Christians is the highest it has ever been. I'm going to talk about Burma later on, right at the end of the talk, or Myanmar as it's called now. The good news is this. There is only one major storyline wired into the universe, and that is God's redemption of the class of creatures he made a little lower than the angels. There's only one major storyline wired into the universe, and that is God's redemption of the peculiar class of creatures that he made a little lower than the angels. The kingdom of heaven continues to advance. I love going to see my mum and dad in Newcastle-under-Lyme. They are my uh, bubble, as well as being my, my parents. Um, and having been raised in the Westlands, which is a very nice part of Newcastle-under-Lyme, I even said Newcastle then because I felt as I was back there. It's a bit like Walton in Chesterfield, for those of you who know Walton. And I was walking around there about a year ago now and seeing all the big detached houses with their lovely gardens and their uh, two BMWs in the drive and the perfect flower beds. And I thought, this is great, it's, it's lovely. But I realised that I was looking at a, a series of little kingdoms. Little kingdoms that no matter how comforting they are, no matter how well-earned they are, no matter how secure they feel, they will not last. These kingdoms will fall. And so, to reiterate, there's only one kingdom that continues to advance, continues to build. And the point is, I want to encourage us this morning that for those of us who are walking with Jesus, you're never starting from scratch. You're never starting from scratch. Nothing is for nothing. It's all for a purpose. Everything that you do has eternal consequences. You know, life, life isn't always a... Um, a very good story. I think it's theologically okay to say that life is rubbish at times. Sometimes life is brilliant and rubbish simultaneously within the same minute because that's what life is. It's, it's not just binary characteristics. It's a, it's a series of emotions and experiences that, that interplay and conflict and contrast all happening within a very short space of time. Life is not always a, a good story and certainly you may feel as though your life, I'd be surprised if you didn't, you may feel as though your life isn't going as you want it to. Even before lockdown you probably thought this is not going as I, as I want it to. And you know statistically you have an 
unbelievably high chance of living a life that doesn't go as you expect it to. Statistically, astronomically high odds in favour of you not having the life that you want to have. Maybe you'll be lucky. Almost certainly, you won't be. And this is the, the, this is the big life shock that people are experiencing at the moment, I think. Our comfort and our security or the illusion of that has been removed. Our kingdoms have come down. The big life shock is I am not the author of my life. I'm not writing this story. I'm actually, I'm actually not the main character even in my own life. I've been building this empire or this business or this career, this kingdom, and it's come crumbling down. The good news is that for those of us who believe in Jesus and follow him, we know that we know already that we're not the author of life, that we're not the main character in the story, that, that he is. It, I think a lot about stories and motifs and the different things that are wired into story. And, you know, we're, we're very um, influenced by all the storytelling tropes that we see in films and books um, that come out of, of Hollywood. And we absorb them, we appropriate their motifs and their themes. And I think most people have this idea that our lives are following a three-act structure. And at some point, just before the end of Act 2, we will develop the skills and the abilities, we will gather the resources we need to go after our happy ending. Because that's what we're going for, and that's what we've been led to believe that we deserve. Because that's what Hollywood is about, that's what Disney is about. There's this three-act structure. And if you look at all films, the only time God features as a character in films is when he's Aslan or Gandalf, when he's in a fantasy or a sci-fi. In every other film, God is never a character because all, all drama has to be human drama. If you, in, if you include God as a character, well, that's literally called deus ex machina, God out of the machine. It's, a, it's a, an unhelpful uh, storytelling motif whereby the, the person writing the story just creates this ending and says, oh, well, God did it. So we've been led to believe by the way films and, and books are written that we are the main character. And the point of the story is that we end up with our resolution. You know, we're on a quest for happiness, but by the end, it will be rags to riches. We will have overcome the monster. These are the seven basic plots, some of the seven basic plots that all stories rest on. But the reality is, and it is good news, even though it's a bit of a life shock, the reality is that you are neither the author of your life or the main character in it. Jesus is both the author of life and the main character in the story. And once we understand that, once we realise that we don't have to worry too much about building our own kingdoms, that we can focus on building his, 
everything changes then. You realize that even when we fail, it's not for nothing. When you do everything as to the Lord, you realize that everything you do has eternal consequences. In Galatians 6, 9, you will reap a harvest at the proper time if you do not give up. I've got a, a really dear friend of mine who put on Facebook this week. He's having such a terrible time. He put on Facebook this week, I'm not strong. And so many people responded with a sort of disnified answer saying, yes, you are. You are strong. You've got this. You're stronger than you think, which is stupid because this guy's saying, I'm not strong. Saying that you're not strong is not a sign of crazy self-loathing. It's an honest assessment, an honest assessment of your place in the universe. And what you don't need people to do when you're saying that you're not strong is to tell you that you're a liar or that you're, or that you're foolish for believing that. People say, you've got this. No, we haven't. I haven't got it. I haven't got my life. I'm not stronger than I think. I'm just as weak as I fear, probably weaker. I have no control over my life. I'm a fairly happy and contented and, and joyful person, but my life isn't happening the way I wanted it to. My life hasn't turned out the way that I wanted it to so far. But to go back to what I said, the moment I started to build God's kingdom and reframe my story in the context of his, in the light of his, my mental health has changed, my contentment has changed, my outlook has changed, my sense of hope and joy haven't been diminished. I don't feel things like despair because I know that everything I do for him is worth it. And I know that his kingdom will never fade, will never fade. Even after my body dies, his kingdom will carry on advancing and I will have left my legacy. I've got a brick in the wall of God's stadium. Jesus is the author of life, but he's also the main character. There's one king, there's one throne. Let me just read uh, from Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 9, verses 20, 20, 26. Not all the verses, but this is what we're talking about. So I'm picking out key verses from, from the passage. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. You made their children as numerous as stars in the sky, and they took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things. Wells already dug, vineyards and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. You can try and build your own kingdom, or you can let God give you a part of his. That's what it says here. You gave them kingdoms and nations, but they were gods to give. Allotting to them even the most remote frontiers. When you accept God's offer to be part of building his kingdom, you may find yourself at the most remote frontiers. You may find yourself uh, pioneering in an area that you didn't expect to, in a way that you didn't expect to. But the life of the pioneer is a life where you're constantly arriving at your destination because everything is new ground. Pioneering for God is a constant success story because, again, the kingdom of heaven is always advancing. 
When you're working for God, you're always building, you're always taking new ground. And it may, it may feel uneven, it may feel as though you personally are losing ground, but you're working for the guy who has the master plan. The kingdom of heaven is always advancing, usually imperceptibly and unevenly, and almost always unfathomably against the odds, looking back to what Pliny the Younger was talking about. But undoubtedly, the kingdom of heaven is always advancing. And I say against the odds because every salvation is a prison break. Every conversion to following Jesus is a prison break. We've been brought out of darkness into his wonderful light. We've been imprisoned by sin and anxiety and fear and self-enthronement by the belief that we are the king or queen. We're imprisoned in our own in our own palaces. Every salvation is a prison break out into freedom. And, you know, prisons are, prisons are well guarded and, and this is why we rejoice when people get baptised because we realise that the guards have been tied up and the prisoner is free. The promise of Jesus isn't that everything will go your way. The promise isn't everything will go your way. And again, that's a life shock because some, some people preach the gospel because they just want bums on seats. They just want numbers. So people are told, well, no, God will look after you. Everything will be fine. He's got a perfect plan for your life. He does have a perfect plan for your life, but it might be martyrdom. It might be they want you to go and live in, in, as a missionary in an unreached part of the globe and you may only last two weeks. But the impact you have there may lead to hundreds of people coming to Christ in a hundred years time. Well, that would be God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan and yours are not the same thing. Your plans for your life are probably not going to happen. <laughs> They're probably not. And I've seen so many people, not so many people, but I've seen the, the biggest reason, actual reason I see people fall away from the faith is because they were preached. They were preached to incorrectly. They were told that every little thing was going to be all right in the now. And, you know, the Christian view is that ultimately every tear will be wiped dry. That God will redeem humanity. That God is in Christ redeeming the world and humans to himself. But that's not the same as everything that you want to happen happening. And people get to a point where they think, and, and during this pandemic even perhaps, they think, oh, this isn't what I wanted to happen. All these things that I thought God was going to let me have, I, I don't have. So God can't like me, or more likely, he, he's not real. That's what happens if you have this view that God's the author, but you're the main character. This is what a lot of people, professing Christians, have as their view. Yes, God's the author of life, but I'm the main character. Life is a story about me. Well, it's not, my friend. It just isn't. And I say this as somebody who would love life to be a story about me. And I think those of you who know me know that I would love that to be the case. The promise isn't that everything will go your own way, but that by following the way, which is what the early Christians were called, by following the way, will always be going the right way. 
by following the way, even though you don't get your way, you're still going the right way at the right time, at the right speed. If you're walking with Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, you lack neither direction nor momentum. If you're walking with Jesus, you lack neither direction nor momentum, even if you can't see it. Even if the things that you personally are hoping for aren't happening. You're part of the greatest story of all time. God redeeming the people he made a little lower than the angels. Once we opt into that, once you're on team Jesus, well, you're more than conquerors, aren't you? You're more than conquerors. Let me tell you um, quickly about Adoniram and Anne Judson. I've been reading about them. But just a reminder that to go back to the, the story analogy, the film analogy, the, the crucifixion is the screen fading to black. So at the cross, it's as though the screen fades to black and the story's over and the good guy's lost. But you've got to wait for the post-credit sting, which is the resurrection. The resurrection is that big, big sign declaring that the story is not over. He's not finished, which means that you're not. So just come in to the right story. Stop trying to write your own script and just let the ultimate director give you his. Because you can't be the main character, but you can be the really cool sidekick. So Adoniram and Ann Judson were the first missionaries to Burma. They, um, Adoniram, he's a man, or was a man, we'll call him Ads. He became a Christian in his early 20s. Before that, he'd wanted to be uh, a famous actor and writer. And then he became a, a Christian and um, he switched. He realised that his desire to build his life as an actor and a, and a writer and to be famous, his kingdom wasn't going to be built. And he dedicated himself. His pressing purpose became to, quote, to plan my life to please the Lord. He changed his mind about who the author of life was and, and about who the main actor in the play was. And he and his uh, wife, Anne, in 1812, they'd been married for a week and they sailed initially to India to preach the gospel. They were kicked out by the British. The British didn't want them. So they were kicked out and eventually they landed in what was then called Burma, modern day Myanmar. And there was not one known Christian in Burma. But there was infestation, there was idolatry, there was iniquity. And they just started preaching. It took them six years to make a single convert. Six years to make a single convert. It took them 12 years to make 18 converts. By the time Adoniram died, there were 6,000 Christians in Burma. It says in that Nehemiah passage, you made their children as, norm as numerous as stars in the sky. It took them so long to make a single convert 
but by the time he died there were 6,000 spiritual children. And today, Myanmar has 4 million Christians, which is nearly 10% of the population. Six years to make one convert. Would he say that it was worth it? After year five, if someone had said, oh, by the way, in a couple of hundred years time, there'll be four million. And it will be because of you two. It will be because of you two. This guy wanted to be an actor. He was allotted to the most remote frontier. And yet he got there and found the wells already dug. And he reveled in God's great goodness. This is how I felt when I moved to Chesterfield. I mentioned this at the prayer night on Wednesday. The first three people I tried to share the gospel with in Chesterfield were all Christians. And one of them even knew my name. He'd been to a show. The first person I tried to share the gospel with in Chesterfield. So, oh, hello, Andy. I thought, well, this is great. I'm already famous in Chesterfield. My work here is done. I came to Chesterfield um, off the back of an awareness that life hadn't made me its main character and got there to found that the wells were already dug, that God was already there and that Jesus had gone ahead of me. This is what happens when you let Jesus pioneer. A lot of people talk about having wanderlust, you know, want to travel, wanderlust. Wanderlust just leads to lost wanderers. And when you get lost, that's when despair happens. A lot of mental health is because of a sense of isolation and loneliness and lostness. So just don't get lost. Stop trying to tack out on your own. Hebrews 12 says Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When you let him pioneer your life for you, when you go in the direction that he's going and the direction he's asked you to go, you're always building kingdom. You'll find that wherever you go, the wells are already dug. And you'll find that your life is one constant state of arriving, arriving at the place that God has given you. You might not get the kingdom that you want, but you get a bit of his kingdom and it lasts forever. You get to be a member of his kingdom, a member of his royal family in royal robes that you don't deserve. When you let Jesus be the pioneer of your life, everywhere you step is holy ground because you know he's been there first. When you let Jesus be the pioneer of your life, everywhere you step is holy ground. You can't be the main character, but you can be the really cool sidekick. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning. There are genuinely things to grieve. But for those of us who are in Christ, we, we don't need to worry that we're starting from scratch because God hasn't been caught out. And he will repeat the highs and redeem the lows. You are exactly where he wants you to be. So from this point now, follow him, listen to him. Which frontier is he calling you out to? Which kingdom is he calling you to? And just know, remember the Judsons. 
the legacy that they left because they did not give up. They persevered. And their spiritual children are more numerous than stars in the sky. Walk by faith, not by sight. That simply means trusting that what you're doing for Jesus has eternal consequences, even if you don't see the day-to-day consequences. It's good news, man. That's why we call it the gospel. Hey, have a really nice day.